Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Orchard Towers is an interesting place. It's pretty well known as the Four Floors of Horse, or even just the Four Floors. But did you know that it is not just Four Floors? It's actually an 18-storey building that was opened in 1975. So Orchard Towers is residential. If you're lucky or rich enough, you could also be living in one of their 58 freehold condo units. Orchard Towers is also pretty international, and we're not just talking about the girls. I'm also not talking about the fact that the Embassy of Romania is on the 8th floor, the Honorary Consulate of Mauritius is on the 9th floor, and the fact that the Embassy of Cambodia is on the 10th floor. So that's pretty international already. It just so happens that Orchard Towers is where Englishman Michael McCree dumped two bodies, a Singaporean and a Chinese national, before fleeing to the UK and then eventually being extradited from Australia. Hi, I'm Teddy and welcome to A Brief Case. In today's episode, we'll be looking at the Orchard Towers double murder. Michael McCree was an Englishman born around 1958-ish, so he wasn't very academically inclined. It seemed like he didn't pass any of his O-levels, but he was really, really smart, really clever. So after he graduated, he moved into financial services. There's actually a 1980s profile piece describing him as Nottingham's million pound man because he pulled in 1.2 million pounds in the first nine months for working for a firm. So he would have been around 22 years old then, and it looks like he's damn good at his job lah. Now he came to Southeast Asia around the 1990s, he would have been around his 30s, and in Singapore, he meets Brunetta Stoko. She's Australian and they eventually do end up getting married. So for years and years, he worked as a financial advisor for expats in Singapore. So he's a little bit shady. He used an alias, Mike Townsend, to run an internet-based company called April Investments. And now with this company, he offered his expat clients something called an expat survival kit to hide their money offshore and quote-unquote keep it safe from the taxman. And according to a couple of news sources that I read, right, it was essentially a money laundering scheme. So that's really shady, right? Even just using an alias is honestly just a little bit shady. So he was even caught and fined for breaking financial regulations in Singapore before. So we know for sure that he's that kind of dude. So this guy, he's good at his job, he's money money, right? He lived with his wife at Pinewood Gardens Condo at Balmoral Park. His rent is about 2k a month, which with inflation is about 2.8k a month now. And it's honestly not bad at all for the location. And for those of you who aren't sure and you don't want to pull up Google Maps, it's between Orchard MRT on the red line and Stevens MRT on the blue line. 
Now, Michael and maybe Brunetta, they're pretty fancy people. Their apartment was all Versace pillows and fancy candles, and based on the photos that I could find, it's pretty large. Now, Michael, he used to be an amateur boxer. So they also had a punching bag attached to the living room ceiling. And he was also kind of a shitty neighbor. He threw these noisy parties at his condo poolside, you know the type? And he was basically the noise complaints dude. Now Michael's wife, Brunetta, she gets pregnant with their first child. And when you're pregnant, you get really tired and you get really brain foggy. And you just don't want to live that party life anymore. So she leaves Singapore and returns to Australia where she's from. And we know a little while after that, that Michael, Michael with a pregnant wife, he starts hooking up with his PA, his personal assistant, 22-year-old Audrey Ong. So you heard me right, 22 years old. So their age gap, Michael is 44, Audrey is 22, their age gap is 22 years old. The age gap is old enough to drink and to smoke, alright? And he even moves her into the condo apartment that he used to share with his wife. I mean, the lion, the witch, and the audacity of this So, now that's everything we know about Michael up to now. Really smart, really shady, just not a great guy. Now let's meet Ko Nai Guan. Nai Guan was a Singaporean, and he was two years older than Michael. So when Michael was 44, Nai Guan was 46. He was described as well-spoken and really friendly. So in the 1980s, he owned a pretty successful electronics dealership. And he was doing well enough for him to own four cars, COE and all. But then in 1989, it collapsed, and he went to work with his brother in a pet food business. So he thought that he would be not bad at it. Lah. And he tried setting up a similar business. But that failed and closed down in 1992. And when it closed down, it left him 18k in debt. So now, we fast forward a little bit. In 1997, Yellow Top Cap released this new fleet of fancy Mercedes-Benz E250 cabs. So they needed a little bit like fancier cabbies. And because Naikwan was well-spoken, he was chosen to be one of those 50 cabbies. So that's pretty cool, right? And he was really really good at being a taxi driver. He was really, really good at being a cabbie. He even got the Singapore Courtesy Council Award for customer service. Now, in 1998, about a year later, Naikwan meets none other than Michael McCree, who we were talking about earlier. And about six months later, he becomes Michael's personal driver. So that's his professional life, which he seems to be like, Okay lah, it's, it's not great, it's not bad either. Personal-wise life, right? It's a bit of a mess, if we are being honest. So while Naikwan was like customer service plus, he was kind of shitty as a husband. He was married to a postal worker, he had a son and two daughters, but he kept dating. Yeah, he had a thing for foreign girls, and eventually, he moved out in 1999, and we know that he moved in with Michael because they were really close. Eventually, Naikwan ends up dating Madam Lan Ya Ming. She was a 30-year-old teacher from Fujian, China, and, and she had been married for 8 years, not to Naikwan, and had 8-year-old twin boys. So at this point, it's just, it's just not a good look for everyone in our story right now. So Yaming was in Singapore on a social visit pass, but she was actually also here to visit a friend and to apply for a teaching position. 
To recap, we have Michael, 44-year-old shady finance business dude with pregnant wife and 22-year-old girlfriend slash PA Audrey. Naikwan, 46-year-old ex-businessman turned cabby turned personal driver for Michael who is dating 30-year-old married lady Yaming. Now, Michael and Naikwan were damn close. They were damn bro. Michael even called Naikwan Aquan and that's like quite affectionate lah. Naikwan was Michael's driver, right? And he was paid damn well. Like 6k a month plus 20k bonus well. But he didn't just drive Michael around, he also got to eat at all the business dinners and attend all the same parties as Michael. And the car that he drove, right? It was a fancy ass car. It was a 146k silver Daewoo chairman. And after paying the initial deposit of around 20 to 30k, Michael actually gifted the car to Naikwan. That's crazy, right? A 146k car. Now, remember in 1999, Naikwan moved out and he lived with Michael in the Pinewood Gardens condo. It's 2nd January 2002. The little quadlet, the fantastic four, if you will. They were just hanging out and drinking some champagne. And they were all probably a bit tipsy when it all suddenly goes to shit. Aquan, Naikwan, he calls Audrey a Tianhua, which basically means like slut in Chinese, and then he spat at her. So this pisses off Michael, who's basically an amateur boxer, remember? So Michael pushes Naikwan against a wall and punches his face. And Naikwan actually breaks a face on Michael's head, but that doesn't do shit. Michael kicks him, fracturing his ribs. He punches Naikwan in the face again, and again, and again, and then held him in an arm lock so tight that it broke the small bones around his throat. So Yaming sees her boyfriend being beaten up and she runs at Michael with a knife and he just knocks her unconscious. At 4.30am, Michael and Audrey, they suddenly realise that Naikwan is dead. That he was cold and that his legs were purple. It's a little bit too late, but Audrey tries to do mouth-to-mouth while Michael tries to CPR him using a massage gun like a massage machine, but it didn't work. It was just too late. Audrey says um, that she saw Yaming moving, so they move her to Naikwan's bedroom. And initially, Michael wanted to stow Naikwan's body in a luggage bag, but Audrey pointed out this rattan wicker basket chest thing that they were using as a coffee table. It looks a bit like a trunk, and they cleared the basket and dumped his body inside. Now, remember Michael? Michael is a shady guy. Their next steps were hiding the body and getting whatever money that Naikwan had, including the 20k bonus that Michael had given to him just a month before in December. And Yaming, Yaming was still alive then. She wasn't dead. She was only knocked out. Audrey and Michael, they started pressing her to see if she knew where the money was. At the same time, Michael pulls in Gemma Louise Ramsbottom. She's an English woman and she used to do his business paperwork. She also already met Audrey like six months ago when Audrey was working in Boki. So they all get together and Audrey places a bunch of dumbbells in the basket in case they wanted to dump it into the sea. They also spam the basket with air freshener to hide the dead body smell. 
So I'm guessing that this account was from Audrey. Gemma had two daughters that needed a babysitter while she was, you know, taking care of Naekwon's dead body. So Audrey was sent on a bunch of errands, including finding a babysitter. Really random, right? But then, when she came back to the apartment at around midnight, Yaming's body was on the floor, and Michael told her. He told her that Yaming was dead. This is a bit crazy, but I'm guessing because they lived together for a bit, they were probably kind of friends. So this would have been pretty shocking for her. And Gemma? Gemma was actually being threatened with death if she ever, ever told anyone what happened. Now before transporting the body, Michael tied plastic bags around Yaming's head. And then she went into convulsions. So clearly she wasn't as dead as Michael told Audrey. And Michael held Yaming down until she stopped moving. My very unexpert opinion uh, is that she died then and not when Michael told Audrey earlier. Now, after the plastic bags, Michael, Audrey, and Gemma, they wrapped Yaming's body in blankets and bed sheets and wrapped it all up with wire. Then, they also took measurements of the back of the car, the back seat of the car, and the chest basket thing that they dumped Naekwon's body in. Right? So, one more day, 4am on 4th Jan. So, I'm guessing the bodies already started decomposing already. They loaded the chest onto a trolley and they went down the lift. They dumped the chest wicker basket thing into the back seat of the silver Daewoo. They went up again to get Yaming's body and then they dumped that in the boot. And then they drove and drove and drove and drove. Gemma and Michael taking turns. They drove from Jurong to Tuas and they also thought about Pongol but when they went there there were too many people on the jetty and it was almost kind of bright. Then at 10am, Gemma left because remember she had two kids that she needed to take care of. And it was just Audrey and Michael left. Audrey and Michael, they drive to Orchard Towers and up and up until they are on the 7th floor car park. Finally, they leave the car there and they take a taxi back to Pinewood Gardens. Audrey calls up her friend, Justin Cho Itang, and asks if he can get acid, enough acid to dissolve two bodies. But Justin's like, no. Who can get enough acid to dissolve two bodies in Singapore, you know? But still, he shows up at the apartment with cleaning supplies and helps them clean all the blood stains and everything off the living room. So now, on 5th January, Michael books two plane tickets. And Michael and Audrey leaving the two bodies in Orchard Towers. Michael and Audrey, they run off to London and then eventually to Melbourne where they show up at the doorstep of Michael's pregnant wife. Yeah, that's probably really awkward. So now, two days later in Singapore, a security guard in Orchard Towers smells, well, well the dead bodies, because they're decomposing in the car. And there is nothing like the smell of dead bodies. He calls the police, and they find Yaming and Naekwon's bodies decomposing, covered in maggots. Audrey and Michael, they managed to hide out in Australia for about 6 months until May 2002. And at that time, Brunetta's mom, so Michael's mother-in-law, she calls the police because of a domestic dispute. And honestly, I'm really surprised they even let him and his mistress, girlfriend, PA, whatever, stay. I'm really surprised they didn't immediately turn him in, right? So now when the police are called, they check him and they see that his passport and his visa are kind of shady. So they check up on it and they find out that he's wanted in Singapore. About a month later, in June, Audrey and Michael are arrested about a week apart. 
Audrey is Singaporean and she's not like them. In October 2002, she agrees to surrender to the Singapore police. On November 10th, she lands back in Singapore. She pleads guilty to two charges, disposing of the bodies and getting rid of blood stains. So she seems pretty compliant, right? And her defense argued for leniency here because she technically, technically turned herself in and testified against Michael. But then, paraphrasing, the district judge was basically like, why didn't you try to contact the police after you initially ran away? And I'm a bit conflicted on this one. Now, imagine you're a 22-year-old girl, right? You date this super rich, super old frat boy dude. You see him literally kill his driver, who he was damn bro with, and his driver's girlfriend right in front of you. And it's technically because the driver insulted you. And I will be kind of scared of Michael, especially since they managed to run away, right, for six whole months. I will be a bit scared of crossing him in any way. But that's just like my opinion and how I would react to it. So Audrey, she was jailed for 12 years. So this whole time, Michael has been arrested in Australia and he was in a maximum security prison. He was in Port Phillips prison in Melbourne. Now, Australia is also pretty interesting. They basically won't extradite anyone to a country where they can receive the death penalty. So even though for the longest time, Singapore technically had a mandatory death sentence for murder, and this was up to 2012, so it was still applicable here in 2002, Singapore was like, okay, fine. Um, if you extradite him to Singapore, we won't hang him. Now, Michael. Remember, Michael is a smart guy. So in November 2002, an Australian magistrate, she actually ordered his extradition. So he petitions the Minister of Justice and Customs and fails. And then he petitions the federal court again, fails again. So he delays this for like three years. And in August 2005, Michael petitions High Court, but it took less than an hour and he was rejected. And after this, he was kept in a straitjacket for two weeks to prevent him from harming himself. About a month later, September 17th, 2005, he took SQ Flight 228 with plainclothes officers and he was permanently handcuffed to a detective. Seven hours later, at 9.30pm, he was finally back in Singapore after running away in 2002. In June 2006, he pled guilty for two counts of manslaughter and causing evidence to disappear. Ten years for each count of manslaughter, one after the other, and another four for the evidence. They also didn't backdate the term to 2002 when Michael was arrested in Australia. And according to the reports, he was like genuinely shook at the 24-year sentence. The judge, Justice Chu Hantek, he totally didn't buy that Michael was remorseful, especially since the death was over something that's like just relatively so small. And on the back dating thing, he basically said that since Michael was the one who delayed his own extradition to Singapore, why should it be backdated, right? You did this to yourself. And after this, Michael actually appealed again. And and the judges were like, the audacity. His lawyer brought up the point that again, Michael was remorseful, and he was like, look, Michael actually tried to CPR Naikwan. But one of the justices, Justice Andrew Pang, basically said that if he was really remorseful, he would have immediately called an ambulance. Like, the audacity to ask to serve concurrent terms, which would be like serving two jail terms at the same time, which would have only been 14 years. And they even considered raising the prison term 
for getting rid of the bodies by another three years, but at the end of the bill, everything was kept as is. And I guess since that was in 2006, if he's alive, he's around 63 now, and probably still in prison, on year 15 of his sentence. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of A Brief Case. Orchard Towers is just such an interesting place, isn't it? You can now find us online with details of each case at abriefcasepodcast.com and on Instagram at abriefcasepodcast. And do join us again next week for another brief case. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.